Merry Christmas Eve to you. Yeah, it's, it's awkward saying Merry Christmas Eve, but how about Merry Christmas? There we go. Excellent. Uh, good morning. It is great to be with you this morning. My name is John Robinson. I'm one of the pastors here at Liberty, and uh, it is a beautiful day to be with you all. Um, we're glad that you are celebrating Christmas Eve with us, and we get to spend this time with you as we make much of Jesus. Uh, Pastor Matt and Shay and the kids send their love. Uh, they are enjoying a little bit warmer weather down in Texas, and will be back with us soon. Um, but as I'm reminded of the series that we're in, um, Pastor Matt said something when he started off the series that, that really, I, I thought, captured the, the heart of this um, Advent. He says, the Advent is about the outside entering in, the eternal holy, completely other God enters into the world he created. There is no greater, more significant expression of this than the incarnation of Jesus Christ. God the Son took on flesh and entered into the mess this world is to open the doors of freedom to us. And therefore... What we all need is not to look inside of ourselves as conventional wisdom would have you believe. The remedy, really, for this all that that has gone wrong in this world, the real remedy to all that is broken and corrupt even in our own hearts, is dependent upon the outside entering in. About Christ entering in. So far we have looked at four incredible women uh, in the lineage of Jesus, four mothers if you will. And this morning, we will conclude our series with the last mother of Jesus, and maybe um, the most um, obvious mother of Jesus, who is Mary. So if you will, turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. If you don't have a Bible, um, somewhere in front of you, underneath the chair, is a black hardback one. We would be um, uh, glad for you to turn there in that Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, please take that as a gift from us to you. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her, and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child will be born will be called Holy the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and in the sixth month with her, who, is called, who was called barren, 
for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we look at this passage that that many of us have heard maybe so many times, let us be reminded of the reality of the true nature and the situation that you placed yourself in. Let us not gloss over the history, the facts that we believe to be so familiar, but God, let your word change our hearts and our minds and the way that we interact with this passage. Jesus, may your name be great in this place and in our lives as we celebrate you this morning. Amen. For many of us, uh, Mary is a familiar figure. Um, you've seen plastic images of her in your in front yards, uh, most likely this season. Um, if you have not heard of her, she's the one usually with, with the blue and the white uh, and the baby. Um, but Mary is usually a, a, a very familiar figure, but she is also a very unlikely figure. Um, she's very unlikely, and I believe in three significant ways that we'll look at this morning. First, she's a, an unlikely figure in the place and time and who she is. Secondly, she has an unlikely faith that we wouldn't expect. And third, she is an unlikely follower. As we work through this passage this morning, we're going to look at Mary, but we're going to make much of Jesus, for he's the reason that we're here today. But first, let's look at Mary, um, that Mary is an unlikely figure. Here again in this passage, we see the God of the universe doing something that he has done before. God, the God of the universe coming again, just like in the beginning, in the garden He's coming to the dirt. He's coming to the the rib of the man, the least obvious of places that people would expect for him to create something, to create something beautiful out of nothing, something that would bring life, something that is a reflection of himself, that is, in fact, himself. God comes to a poor virgin girl in a town that no one really knows of to change the course of human history. This is not something we should gloss over as we read this passage that, like I said, many of us have heard so many times. I mean, just looking at the place in which Mary was, the town that she was in, the town of Nazareth, uh, we can tell by Luke's testimony here that this is not a familiar place. This is not a place of of reputation. This is not a a large town. As a matter of fact, he has to reference the, the small town near the smaller town in order for us to know where this place is. He says, um, it's Nazareth, which is a town outside of Galilee. And hopefully you know where Galilee is. It's, it's, it's a very small, small town. I'm from a town called Deland, um, which is near Daytona Beach. We have to reference larger towns so people get at least an idea of where um, someone is from. This, this small town probably had maybe 120 to 150 residents at the time. Nazareth is not mentioned anywhere in the Old Testament. It's not mentioned in the Apocrypha or even the historic writings of Josephus. It is literally off the grid. No one knows this town. No one is famous coming from this town. This is a nowhere kind of place. It was an insignificant, unlikely place to live. And it was an even more unlikely place for God to do what he was about to do. 
God sends his messenger, one of his right-hand angels, Gabriel, one of, the only, one of only two angels even mentioned in Scripture by name, to announce to this girl his mysterious plan. But we really need to understand that God is about to announce this plan that he has had from the beginning to this poor virgin girl from a small nowhere town. The plan that he'd been working out from the beginning. The plan that he introduced in the garden. At the moment of Adam and Eve's fall, the very moment the forbidden fruit touched their lips, God's plan became in motion. He announces his plan in Genesis 3.15. In the Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel, he says this, I will put enmity, speaking to the devil, I will, speak, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And then between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And maybe a more accurate translation right there would be, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. God's plan from the very beginning of time was happening and put in place here, but is now coming to fruition, coming to a climax here in a small nowhere town outside of Galilee to a girl that no one would have expected. You would expect maybe a king, maybe this announcement coming to a king or a prophet, not to someone who is in lowly standing, maybe someone who has good influence, someone who was popular at the time, someone who could have maybe changed things or, or accommodated this Messiah properly, but to a poor girl in a small town, who was marrying a poor man. I mean, the, literally the, the economic context in which Jesus was going to be born into was dire straits. They didn't have enough to offer a sheep as a sacrifice. They had to offer the smallest, cheapest sacrifice possible, which was two turtle doves. And yet here we find ourselves in the story of Scripture, of what God is doing, announcing to this young girl He says, this is my great rescue plan. This is my plan of redeeming the whole world. And it intimately involves you. Mary is not just some poor girl, but she is someone that God has seen. An unlikely figure, but one that God was going to use to do great things through. God works in the most unlikely of individuals to redeem and restore those who were once far off. And this is the very nature and character of our God that we worship today. People that we would think to be maybe likely that God would use, he doesn't use. He uses the unlikely among us. He uses you and me. And because of that truth of God, it's amazing to see how Gabriel addresses Mary. He says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. How about that for an introduction, right? I mean, we would like to hear that maybe from a spouse or a friend, but like an angel is calling you favored. It's not a bad way to start off your day, right? And here we have him saying, you're favored in the eyes of God. Regardless of her situation and regardless of our situation, God decides that he's going to use this poor virgin girl from a no-name town. I think that communicates to us that God doesn't look at our, at our situation 
at our status, at our, our past or our, our history or our flaws, but God looks at us and he sees something differently, just like he saw something different in Mary. He calls her favored. She was favored in no one else's eyes but God's. Even her betrothed was going to leave her once he found this out. And yet, here we have God addressing her. Everyone is unlikely, and everyone like Mary can be used by God. So how does Mary react? She reacts with an unlikely faith. So secondly, Mary has an unlikely faith. Mary's reaction to Gabriel's introduction is very typical, especially of many teens who are addressed by someone of importance or someone that they look up to. I don't know if you guys have have experienced this before, either as a teen or you've addressed a teen maybe, and you've said, hello, hi, how are you? It's good to see you. And they they do one of these, huh? Me? Um, she she reacts in the same way. It's it's this this shock and this awe of is there someone important behind me that you're talking to? Did I get in the way of this conversation? She was perplexed. She was if the scripture says very troubled by this saying and tried to understand what kind of greeting this was. This is a very typical teenage response, basically. And yet he is speaking to her. There's no one else in the room. He calls her favored. I'm sure Mary had doubts about what was going to happen. She's just told that she's going to give birth. She's going to have a baby. She's not married. She's a virgin. She can put two and two together. She doesn't know exactly how this is going to happen. And not only that, but the baby that she's going to have is going to be the son of the Most High God. That's, that's some news. That's a, that's a brand new um, idea coming to her head. I'm sure when she was figuring out her life, her plans, what her wedding was going to look like, what kind of shoes or sandals she might wear, um, she wasn't thinking, I'm going to be pregnant by the Most High God. And I'm going to have the Messiah. I'm sure that wasn't like at seven, her plan for life. But here she has it. So I'm sure as she's processing what she's hearing, she has questions. She has possibly doubts. I'm sure she has reservations. Being pregnant and unwed was not a popular thing back then. It was almost a death sentence. You were for sure going to be ostracized out of not only your town, but possibly even your family. And these things start coming to mind as you start processing what you're hearing. So she had doubts and reservations, but she didn't doubt God. And this is what is incredible about Mary. She responds in a way that, that we need to see and observe and respond in the same way. She responds in verse 38. She says, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. This is not a blind faith. This is an aware, uh, an awareness of the situation, but still faith. Because faith is this. Faith is not believing in God, but it is believing God. Believing God and taking him at his word and living in obedience to it. Our responsibility and our hope here at Liberty is that we would model this kind of faith for you. And that we would model it to one another. Uh, not a blind faith, but a hopeful faith. A faith in believing God for what he says. Because God, 
God's word has always come true, even up to this point in this situation, in using Mary and who she is and where she's at is God's faithful promise throughout history. Mary had doubts and reservations. I'm sure she wasn't um, working this all out, but she, she was trying to process some of this. As some of us try to wrestle with some of the doubts that we have about life, about God, about what this all means, And I want to say that this is a safe place to doubt. This is a safe place to have your doubts. And we would would ask you to just doubt out loud so that you can help and we can help process some of those things that many of us have gone through and thought through before. I always refer to church as the shallow end of the pool where it's safe to try swimming. And she had doubts, she had questions. She says this in verse 34, how will this be since I'm a virgin? This is a legitimate question. And a lot of us have legitimate questions that we just need to figure out. But she didn't keep that to herself. She spoke this out loud and God gave her an answer in his timing. There are reasonable questions to ask and there are reasonable answers to receive. Mary had doubts and questions, and she didn't have all the answers. And to be honest, not everything went right for Mary. Her life wasn't cushy after this announcement. As a matter of fact, the king wanted to kill every newborn boy. This kind of affected Mary and Joseph. This caused them to leave to go down to Egypt. It wasn't easy. This is not a short trek. They didn't jump in a car. They couldn't bring a sheep to sacrifice to God. They I doubt they had proper and adequate transportation. They moved down to Egypt, tried to find work and a a place to live, and then all of a sudden God calls them back up and they go back up to Nazareth. They relocate many times. This maybe wasn't a part of Mary's plan and her hopes for herself and her new family. As she processes these things and as she goes through these things, God's faithfulness is there. And let me tell you, friends, God's faithfulness is there today. And it's there for you as you wrestle with your doubts and your questions. His faithfulness and his goodness is there. You know, this was probably kind of indicative of the rest of, of, of her life up to a point. We see this, this interesting interaction in Mark 3 where Jesus is sitting with his disciples and teaching and his mother and brothers show up and they say that they're looking for him and Jesus responds, who is my mother and my brothers? Looking around to those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God He is my brother and my sister and my mother. Not sure exactly how Mary's faith fared during some of these periods, but we do see that Mary has a a for sure uh, assurance of who her Savior was. And we see this take place because Mary is an unlikely follower of Jesus Christ. We see this take place in Acts chapter 1. Mary's faith leads her to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. She knew um, early on in in the announcement from Gabriel of who Jesus was, but we see her actively following Jesus in Acts chapter 1. Because she was a part of the disciples in the upper room. We see her at the foot of the cross, not as a mother, mother, but uh, not as just a mother, but also as a follower. 
Mary is present in the life of the first church, but we don't see Mary mentioned uh, even in the book of James that, that her son, the brother of Jesus, um, son of Mary and Joseph, wrote. We don't see her mentioned because, and I believe Mary would agree with this, the story is not about Mary. And it's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's about us being wrapped into the great meta-narrative of God's plan, of his faithfulness throughout time and history. And I believe that when we understand this, when we see God working throughout history, we will see Jesus for who he truly is. Scripture, all of Scripture points to Jesus. As Keller says, he says, Jesus is the true and better Adam who passes the test in the garden, his garden, a much tougher garden, and whose disobedience is in, and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the truer and better Abel, who, though all, although innocently slain, has blood that cries out, not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham, who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and to go into the void, not knowing but believing. Jesus is the true and better Isaac, who not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us, all while God saying to Abraham, Now I know you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son, who you love from me. Now we, at the foot of the cross, can say to God, Now we know that you love me because you do not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from me. Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserved. Like Jacob, only, only receiving the wounds of grace that wakes us up and disciplines us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed, who betrayed him and sold him and used his power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who, medit- and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better Job. He's the truly innocent sufferer who then intercedes for and saves his foolish friends. Jesus is the true and better David whose victory becomes his people's victory though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther, who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimately, ultimate heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life, who didn't say, if I perish, I perish, but who said, when I perish, I will perish to save my people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah, who was cast into the storm, so that we could be brought in. And it is Jesus who we celebrate today. It is the birth, the advent of the true God who loves us, who died for us, who raised from from death to give us life. You see, we are all unlikely figures marked by the curse of Adam and Eve. We desire to have an unlikely faith here because in the promises of God is where we trust. And the words of God is where we trust. And then he gives us the faith to believe. 
And in our context today, today in 2017, almost 18, we need to be unlikely followers. It's not popular to be a follower. So therefore, it's okay for us to be different, to embrace the difference that is following Christ. Christ was set apart, and as we are called to be set apart, it is good to be with him in that. As we look at Mary, I want us to focus in on this, this last verse in 1 Corinthians 1, 27. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. You see, Jesus is the real Passover lamb. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, and the true lamb. He's the true light. He is the true bread. And today we give him thanks for leaving everything and coming to be among us. Let's pray. Jesus, we give you the honor and glory this morning. We thank you for coming, for giving up everything to come here, to live a sinless life, to die the death that we should have died. And Jesus, because of that, we are grateful. And we give you all the praise, the honor, and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.